You're listening to ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to Advances in Women's Health, sponsored in part by Eli Lilly. Your host is Dr. Lawrence Stryker, Assistant Clinical Professor of Obstetrics and Gynecology at Northwestern University Medical School, the Feinberg School of Medicine. Prenatal diagnosis of genetic disorders has traditionally involved testing of an established pregnancy by utilizing chorionic villus sampling or amniocentesis. In the event that an abnormality is detected, pregnancy termination is then offered. Certain couples who are at very high risk of a pregnancy that is chromosomally abnormal would benefit from screening before implantation of an abnormal pregnancy and all of the issues that then ensue. Pre-implantation genetic diagnosis, PGD, is an option that can be utilized during in vitro fertilization to avoid the transfer of abnormal embryos. PGD may have the additional value of improving pregnancy rates when undergoing assisted reproductive technologies. Today, we are joined by Dr. Brian Kaplan of Fertility Centers of Illinois to address the question of pre-implantation genetic diagnosis. Dr. Kaplan, welcome. Thank you for having me. Let's start by describing the process of PGD. How does it change the IVF procedure? The IVF procedure is really no different. The patient is placed on stimulation drugs, which stimulate egg production. The IVF process of retrieving the eggs is identical. And in a typical normal IVF cycle without PGD, the embryos are grown in the media for five days. And on the fifth day, the embryos are transferred into the patient. The difference with PGD is that in that five-day window, where the embryo is still sitting in the dish, the embryo is then biopsied, and the concept behind it is to try and ascertain whether that embryo is genetically normal or not. The biopsy of the embryo is done on the third day that the embryo is in the dish, where the embryo is as what we call at the six to eight cell stage. So it's divided into six or eight identical individual pieces. One of those cells is taken out of the embryo. It's a very delicate procedure. The size of the embryo cannot be seen with the naked eye, and so an individual cell is even smaller than that. And then that cell is analyzed uh, for genetic abnormalities, which is considered pre-implantation genetic diagnosis. If the embryo is then considered normal, the embryo grows two days further in the dish and is transferred, as we said, on day five. There is no difference to the patient, but in the lab for those five days, a biopsy is done on the embryo on the third day. Now, when we talk about genetic abnormalities, obviously chromosomal abnormalities are not the only things that we're concerned about. There are enzyme abnormalities and other conditions as well. So when we're talking about PGD, is this just chromosomal analysis or are you able to detect other conditions and enzyme abnormalities or deficiencies? That's a very important question. This is, is only for genetic testing, so it will only ascertain chromosomal abnormalities uh, there's no data as yet to, to be able to measure any of the other abnormalities at all. And in fact, the number of genetic abnormalities that are available to be measured with PGD is limited. If you carry what we call a single gene defect, Tay-Sachs or cystic fibrosis, that can be analyzed in the embryo. And so you cannot measure anything that's not cro- that we cannot identify chromosomally. And do you expect that to change? What will change is the technology in the ability to biopsy the embryo as atraumatically as possible and to be able to measure all the chromosomes that are eventually identified or all the genes that are eventually identified with time in various diseases, for example, breast cancer, hopefully colon cancer, etc. So I think it's just a spectrum of anomalies that as they get described in the genome, 
we would be able to measure them. It's really quite endless. Do you find in your practice that most PGD is requested because of just simply advanced maternal age or because of a known risk for a chromosomal abnormality? There are a number of indications. Number one, those that carry a a known family history of a genetic abnormality, that's called a single gene defect. The most commonly used reason for uh, PGD is for assessing the the embryo more accurately And as we know, as women get older, the egg ages, it becomes more fragile. And when it fertilizes with a sperm, it has a a very much more high tendency to form abnormalities in the embryo, which we call aneuploidy. And that aneuploidy results in not only a decreased implantation rate of the embryo, but a much higher miscarriage rate. And that's why women, as they get older, miscarry at such a higher rate than the younger patients. So we have the ability today to measure for that aneuploidy. Now, the ability is only to measure for between 9 and 11 chromosomes. And we, we all have 23 pairs, so it's not complete. Those chromosomes which we presently can measure are responsible for over 80% of the problems. So they are the, the most commonly occurring aneuploidy embryos, but it's not complete yet. So clearly, as an obstetrician-gynecologist, we should still plan on doing the appropriate screening for patients that are at risk, such as a CVS or amniocentesis, even if they've had pre-implantation genetics performed. Absolutely, and that's recommended by all the societies involved. But I think it's important that that's only one category of patients that we do PGD on. A very rapidly growing group of patients that we're doing more and more PGD on are those women who have recurrent miscarriages, which is very frustrating for physicians because most of the time we really don't find an identifiable etiology. And most miscarriages are due to a chromosomal abnormality in the embryo, particularly as the patient gets older. So if someone presents with recurrent miscarriages, and that patient has had a full workup looking for all the other identifiable etiologies and none are found, PGD is a very good indication to select those embryos, and data has clearly shown that uh, miscarriage rates are lower when you do PGD. So the indications for PGD are the older woman who has a lot of eggs to work with, and that's very important because there's such an attrition that it's really only, it's only been shown to be effective when we have a number such as six or eight embryos to work with. Otherwise, it might not be beneficial. And secondly, the woman has recurrent miscarriages. The third patient is one with a single gene defect. And the fourth patient is the woman, which is more controversial, the couple who has gone through multiple IVF cycles with no pregnancy and is an unexplained reason why she's not getting pregnant. PGD might give you that answer of why there's a failed implantation. You're listening to Advances in Women's Health on ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. I'm Dr. Lauren Stryker, and today I'm speaking with Dr. Brian Kaplan about pre-implantation genetic diagnosis. Now, Dr. Kaplan, it's interesting that you talked about eliminating abnormal pregnancies to decrease the chance of of miscarriage. Was there a recent study that questioned the validity of this indication, and can you talk about that a little? There was an article that was published in the New England Journal of Medicine from a a European group which compared patients undergoing pre-implantation genetic diagnosis with those who did not undergo pre-implantation genetics in IVF patients and actually showed uh, inferior pregnancy rate in in their procedure. It was a very controversial article, and there has been a lot of replies to that in, in the fertility literature and from various centers all over the world. And the conclusion is, is that as it is with IVF, PGD is very operator dependent. The experience of the technician doing it, the experience of the lab in doing the uh, procedure is critical. And if you really critique the study, the number of areas of where their technique is considered suboptimal is very obvious. The perfect example is when you have that six to eight cell embryo, 
In the United States today, in the top centers that do PGD, a single egg is biopsied from the embryo. In the European data, they, they biopsied and they took two cells out. Now, you take two cells out of a six to eight cell embryo, that obviously by taking twice the amount of the embryo away for biopsy will lower the ability to, the, to implant. And the number of patients that they saw, the number of embryos that they had where they had no diagnosis, where they couldn't find, they, had no, where they didn't know whether the genetics were normal or not, was extremely high, and it was over 20%, when most centers are reported at 5%. So if you look at their data very critically, the experience of that lab, which no one really has heard of before, they, they have not been ever published before, so there's a question mark of how good their technology is, how good their selection of their patients were in this study. So I think the point is just as IVF success rates vary widely, so do success rates for PGD. And just because someone does it does not mean that they do it well. That's critical. And you have to, there are two parts to it. You cannot do PGD unless you have a very strong, solid IVF lab, because that's the basis of what it's built on. If your IVF lab is suboptimal, you're just going to compound it with PGD. So you have to have both a very solid IVF center that has experience growing embryos to the fifth day, and you have to have the lab technology to be able to do the genetic testing in the most experienced way with the best technology available. Now, given the expense of IVF, do you think it's appropriate to offer PGD to every single patient who undergoes IVF, even if they're not at increased risk for chromosomal abnormality? I mean, obviously, if you're going to have a number of embryos, it would be in the patient's best interest to put back only the good ones. That would be ideal. I think the resistance to that presently is that the data comparing pregnancy rates in patients who undergo PGD versus those that do not are not much different. But it's not just about the pregnancy rates. I mean, I think the real issue is if you have a woman who is not offered PGD and then she delivers a chromosomally abnormal pregnancy and later finds out that she could have had screening, do you think that that's a liability? I think that's a very interesting perspective, and and that would be, I think, going forward, I think that that's a, a good possibility. But I think because it is still considered, once again, PGD is also is still considered experimental to some degree and by our societies, I think that until we have enough numbers by enough centers worldwide repeating the data and having consistent results, I think it's still a few years off before that becomes a reality, but I think that will become a reality eventually. And when you look at embryos that are transferred that are subsequently found to be chromosomally abnormal after a PGD process has been done... Is that because of something that couldn't be screened for, or is it something that happens to the embryo after screening? The data seems to show that the biopsy in itself might reduce the ability to then implant by 10 to 15%. But the knowledge that it is a normal embryo, you would imagine that that embryo would therefore implant at a higher rate. And those two seem to trade off with each other, and that's why the pregnancy rate seems to be no different. However, if it does implant, then because it's normal genetically, the miscarriage rate and the, and the down, down the road, the, the abnormality rate will be dramatically different. So although, as you said, the pregnancy rate is not much different, the chance of taking home a healthy, chromosomally normal baby is markedly improved. But I think the biopsy itself might impede implantation to a certain degree, and that has to be clearly defined. There's no long-term effects or harm to these babies. There are now well over 10,000 born from PGD. The data has been looked at carefully worldwide, and there's never been shown to be an increased incidence of chromosomal abnormalities or damage to those embryos from the PGD process. What is a stimulating debate is whether the field of PGD or IVF in general 
down the road five, ten years from now, the majority of patients, instead of being infertility patients going through PGD, the majority of patients might be normal, fertile women who are coming in to get pregnant, but with certain genetic abnormalities in order to eliminate certain genetic abnormalities that they might have in their family. I wish to thank our guest, Dr. Brian Kaplan, for helping us understand the state of the art in pre-implantation genetic diagnosis. I'm your host, Dr. Lauren Stryker. For comments and questions, send your email to xm at reachmd.com. Or to listen to this interview again, find us at www.reachmd.com. Thank you for listening. Thank you for listening to Advances in Women's Health, sponsored in part by Eli Lilly, with your host, Dr. Lauren Stryker. For more details on the interviews and conversations in this week's show, or to download the segment, please go to reachmd.com forward slash women's health.